um, tonight, though, is a really incredible chapter. And I don't know if you guys are, are aware of this. I know some of you here have been walking with the Lord for a while, and you you know uh, some scriptures uh, rather you know good in the Word. But man, Psalm 45. I don't know if you knew this or not. Is all about Jesus, the Bridegroom, and us, the Bride. You know, and that's a really amazing thing. I kind of knew that was over there in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. And, you know, you read some scriptures in John chapter 3 and some others in the synoptic gospels. But it's a beautiful uh, picture here in Psalm 45 that that kind of unfolds uh, for us. And if you're here today and if you're married and uh, hopefully you're happily married and if you're here today and if you love your wife or if you love your husband, you're going to get a little understanding of how deep and personal our relationship is with the Lord. You know, a lot of times I think we forget and we kind of get into this uh, superficial, long-distance relationship with God, when in all reality, in one sense, we must never forget that you're His bride and He is our bridegroom. I mean, it doesn't get any more intimate than that. And not only that, I mean, man, we married Mr. Right. Let me tell you, man. I mean, he, our husband, is the king of kings. And one day, you guys, we'll be home and we will be with him forever face to face. But here in Psalm 45, it's a real interesting psalm. I mean, culturally speaking, you know, it's a king's wedding. And you're going to see this as we go through the chapter. But, you know, ultimately speaking and plainly speaking as we go through this, you're going to see it's not just a king. There's a greater than Solomon here. This is none other than Jesus. And look what we read here, beginning in the title. It says, To the chief musician set to the lilies a contemplation of the sons of Korah. Notice what it says right there, a song of love. And so you look at the title and you already know, man, there's something special about this psalm. To the chief musician, that gives us the superiority set to the lilies. That gives us a melody found in a few psalms, actually. A contemplation of the sons of Korah that gives us the agency through whom the psalm was written. And it says right there, a song of love. And that gives us the beauty. You know, I think it was Paul McCartney, and I'm probably dating myself now, but uh, he was talking about how a lot of people like to write silly love songs. And if you guys remember that song, any of you here remember that song? And he kind of says, hey, haven't we written enough uh, silly love songs? And then he says, no, and here's one more. <laughs> you know, and he kind of gives us a love song, and, and that's what this is right here. It's a, it's a love song, but it's a love song between the king of kings and his bride. And please don't disconnect that. It's a love song between God and, and you. We look, first of all, though, at the king. And look what he says right here in verse 1. My heart is overwhelming with a good thing. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Notice how the inspiration began right here in verse 1. Where does it begin? It begins in the heart, huh? It begins in the heart, the stirring here of the psalmist, the overflowing 
of the psalmist. What we see right here is God is moving. That's how God writes his Bible. He moves these writers. And the psalmist knew that this was going to be good. After all, it was a composition, notice, concerning the king. It was right there on the tip of his tongue. It was on the point of his pen. This writer was ready to write. He knew he was about to write something special. Now, I don't know about your Bible, but in my Bible, the word king is capitalized. Now, in the Hebrew, it's not. But obviously, the translators knew that this was not just a king. This was the king. This was the king of kings. The psalmist knew it as well, and that's why he was so excited to write. And so look what he says there, first of all, in verse 2 about this king. He says, you are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. We read right here that this king, with a capital K, is fairer than the sons of men. And, you know, that's not just an umpire calling a fair game. If you read the Hebrew language, it says literally two times a beautiful beauty. That's the Hebrew language. And what it's saying literally, and when you look at this, is that this king right here is absolutely handsome and attractive, and he just draws you to him. You know, I'm not sure what Jesus looked like. Sometimes I kind of wish I had a picture of him, you know. We have our pictures of Jesus nowadays, but you guys, if you don't know this, you got to know this now. That's not a Kodak picture of Jesus, okay? It's not. You know, we have our versions from our artists, um, but we don't really know exactly what he looked like. But right here in the Hebrew language, it says that he is the most handsome of all. I doubt it if that means he looked like Brad Pitt, you know. I, I doubt it if that means, you know, whatever your hunk guy, you know, version is. I, I think you know, I think we know that when you look at him, when you were around him, you were just so in love with him. You were just so drawn to him. And that's who the king is. That's who Jesus is. He must have been very attractive, not to everybody, just to the open-hearted, right? I mean, we know the Pharisees didn't like him. They repelled him. They resisted him because they weren't open to God. But those who were, they just, man, they, they couldn't get enough. Because look what we read next. It says there in verse 2, grace is poured upon your lips. Now, he may have had lovely lips, but more than likely... This is in reference to his words. I don't know if anybody here has a New Living Translation, but the New Living Translation says, gracious words stream from your lips. And I just think when you start off right here looking at the king with a capital K, when you look at the bride, groom, you realize that this is exactly who Jesus is. You've got to know who he is. You've got to know who your husband is. I mean, you may be here tonight and you may not be married, but you're married if you have a relationship with God. And that is this, that you have the most handsome husband of all. 
And unlike a lot of other husbands that live on earth today, out of his lips, gracious, beautiful, wonderful words are constantly flowing in your direction. I mean, he never says anything that is not true and not necessary. He says words to build you up. You know, and that is a great description of who Jesus is. You know, John chapter 1 in verse 17, it says, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know, that was the words of Jesus. They were gracious words. They were wonderful words. They weren't words that beat people up. I mean, yeah, sometimes God does have to correct us. But understand that when he does, he does so with gentleness. And he does so with love, especially his bride. And I reminded of the story in Luke chapter 7 when a woman came to Jesus and this woman was not a, you know, you know, nice girl, you know, any typical perspective. I mean, she was one of the girls that worked on Garvey. She was a prostitute and everybody knew it. You know, and if you guys ever hang out around Garvey, if you ever go down there, you begin to discover who are the ladies that work the street. I remember when we had the office there on Garvey and we used to get some of these girls that worked on the street and they would come in and, you know, they would actually use the restroom and we would actually have conversations with them. And you begin to learn how they are. And unfortunately, many of them going through so many things in their life, they, uh, you know, they, they turned out to be pretty, you know, crazy ladies, man. The, the words, the thoughts, the things that they want to do. And and one day, this woman, she saw how handsome Jesus was. And one day, this woman who had so much pain and so much turmoil in her life, she heard the gracious words that came out of Jesus. And one day, this woman, when Jesus was having dinner at the house of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, she went in and all she could do was weep. All she could do was just weep and with her hair, she bowed down her head and she just started washing Jesus' feet and kissing them. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, woman, your sins are forgiven you. And they're gracious words. And maybe you don't have long hair. Maybe you don't remember the time that you wept over Jesus' feet. But if you're a Christian, that's exactly what you've done. You've come to him much worse than a prostitute. You've come to him as a rebel. And as you're there and as you humbled yourself and as you bowed down your heart before him, you know what he said to you? He said to you, your sins are forgiven. And I don't know about you, but those are the greatest words that I've ever heard in my life. You know, I'm so grateful when we get people that come up here and pray. And, you know, one of the first things they say is, God, thank you for for saving me. Thank you for washing me. Thank you for cleansing me. Because that's really where it always has to begin. I mean, you know, praise God for our health. And, you know, I wish I had, you know, more, you know, black hair and whatever. I have these different desires in my life. And, you know, I, 
Uh, but the bottom line is I'm breaking down. I don't know what's happening to my knee. Pray for my knee and pray for my toe and, you know, pray for all these things that are falling apart in my body. But you know what? I'll ask God for those things. But man, you know what? He's already given me salvation. You know, there was a time when the disciples, they were anointed by the Lord and he went out. They went out and they did the work of the ministry and they were so excited. They're like, yeah, Lord, the demons are subject to us. And, you know, the Lord said, yeah, you know what? I did see Satan fall like lightning. It's cool what's happening in your life, but don't rejoice over that. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Why? Because his lips... They speak words of grace to you. And since then, since I've become a Christian, I still blow it. But he keeps me as his son. He keeps me really as his bride. I remember one time they brought a woman to Jesus. And again, she was caught in the middle of adultery. And, you know, they threw her down. They said, hey, Jesus, she was caught right in the middle of the act. And and what do you say? And if you guys remember the story there in John chapter 8, he was kind of going back and forth with them. And he said, you know what? He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then he started writing something on the ground. And, you know, I, I, uh, I don't know what he wrote. Maybe he was writing their sins. But it says that from the eldest to the youngest, they went out and they left one by one until finally it was just Jesus and the woman. And do you guys remember what happened? Jesus looked up and the woman was there. She was all alone with him. And it says in John chapter 8, verse 10, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you you go and you sin no more and you know we blow it sometimes and i don't know who condemns you sometimes it's the enemy sometimes you know it's your kids i mean you know it could be so many different people that say whatever it might say it might want to say and the lord says you know what i i don't condemn you but let's get life right man you go and you sin no more and you see that's the grace that we live in you guys Make sure, please make sure that you don't live in a legalistic relationship with the Lord, that you don't think it's based on your performance, how you did, whether or not God loves you. Man, it's his grace, Paul said, Popeye statement, man, by the grace of God, I am what I am, right? And so the Bible says, you therefore be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, we see back here in Psalm 45, the Lord says you're the most handsome of all. The Lord says in verse 2, grace is poured upon your lips. And therefore, it says in verse 2, God has blessed you forever. Now, we see in the latter portion here, verse 2, that the Father has blessed the Son forever. And this right here is speaking of the inheritance that would be a gift to him, if you wanted to jot down Psalm chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, that's the gift that's been granted to the Son. But notice, you guys, if we continue on right here, how it's acquired. Because look what it says in verse 3. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one. 
with your glory and your majesty. And in your majesty, ride prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. The Lord says, I'm going to give you a gift, an inheritance. I'm going to bless you forever, the Father says to the Son. But you need to go and you need to fight for it. And you know, when the Lord fights against the nations, we read there in the book of Revelation, it's not going to be much of a battle, but a battle will take place. You know, this isn't the only time we see the Son with a sword. We don't see this quite often, but we do see it again in Revelation where he's riding on the white horse in chapter 19, verse 11. John says, I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now, when John saw that, that wasn't like a cartoon, you know, fairy tale thing. That right there is an actual event in which Jesus Christ will return. And he'll come back the second time. Imagine that, riding on a white horse. There's the sword, you know, and his robe is dipped in blood. In other words, he's ready to fight. And as we look at this right here, we see here, it says in verse 3, Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, or as some versions say, O mighty warrior, glorious and victorious. Due to his majesty, due to his deity, there will be victory. Even though Satan will muster up every single nation on planet earth and they're going to come with their, you know, smart, you know, missiles and their nuclear weapons and they're going to come with Satan and every single demon and they'll all be gathered together there against Jesus Christ. The whole planet that doesn't know the Lord will be there to fight him. And the Bible says that out of this mouth, there's a sword in his mouth and he will smite the earth. And what that means is that Jesus doesn't necessarily have to swing his sword. He just has to say his sword, die, dust, and they'll all perish. You see, and when you look at this, it's just such a cool thing, you guys. You know, we're heading for that day. It's just around the corner. Today I woke up and usually in the morning I'll check the news headlines real quick and I don't know if you guys checked the headlines but today it was talking about the military operations that Iran is conducting in order to you know supposedly prevent uh, missiles from striking their nuclear uh, locations and there's Israel doing their thing blowing up tunnels there's no peace in the Middle East right now and the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 38 that in the last days, Iran, also known as Persia, will invade Israel. There will be a war there in the Middle East. Iran will be linked to Gog, Magog, that's Russia, just like we 
see today things are just happening. Europe, I don't know if you guys heard about this, the European community, they just named their first president ever. And the Bible says that in the last days there in Europe and the revived Roman Empire, the leader there of the European Union will be the one that will be used to make peace in the Middle East. And we see everything coming before us. I mean, who would have ever thunk? Iran? What? Those guys, they, well, those guys, don't they ride camels? Is that what they do? You know, we're not going to be in a, a main player in the last days. And God says, there's some oil over there that's going to change everything. You see? And so everything's getting set up. But you don't have to be afraid. Because of his majesty and because of his deity, we're on the winning team, you see? I mean, I can't wait for the day. We see right here, the New Living Translation says he will defend truth and humility and justice. We read right here in verse 4, in the end of verse 4, the things that he does with his hand and the things that he does to their heart. We read in verse 5, the peoples would fall under him. You know, and I just can't wait for that day. I just look forward to that day You know, I don't know if you guys ever pray that prayer, but you should. Maranatha. John did. Maranatha, come, Lord. It's a prayer that we should be praying. Come, Lord. You know, I know we need, you know, our loved ones to get saved, but man, (laughs) Lord, save them and come, please. Because this world is turning against you. You know, I can't wait for the day when all wrongs will be made right, when the evil will end, when the devil and his followers will be defeated and die, and all the people who would not have him to rule over them will finally fall under him. One day, you guys, it's not going to be a democracy. It's not going to be a republic. It won't be, you know, any. it's going to be a monarchy, man. And it's going to be so cool because King Jesus will rule in Jerusalem. And you're going to see his kingdom of peace will be incredible. Look at verse 6. This might be a verse that some of you are familiar with. It says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate Wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Now, like I shared with you guys in the beginning, this psalm right here, it does speak of a, of a wedding, of a king, of the culture of that day. But ultimately, it speaks of the king of kings, Jesus Christ. And here we see some really solid evidence of that. Verse 6, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now, there's some kings that are pretty pretty bad dudes, man, over the years, and Solomon and all these guys, but they ain't God. You see, this is God right here. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 1, the writer to Hebrews, he quotes from this verse Improving the superiority of Jesus over the angels. And right here he speaks of a throne that lasts for how long? It's a long time, huh? I mean, we're lucky if we live 70 years or so, but man, this king right here, 
He's going to have a throne forever and ever. You know, we know this and we see this right here. And the thing that I think is so cool is when the father speaks to the son, the father calls him God. We know there's only one God. It's just so cool how everything unfolds. But as Jesus came and he emptied himself of his divine privileges and he lived on planet Earth, I just think it's so cool the way that the Lord is our example. Look what it says right here in verse 7. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Isn't that cool? I just think the beautiful heart of Jesus is there for us to see. I pray you guys would have that same heart. You don't hate the wicked. You love the wicked, but you hate the wickedness. You know, we look at this right here and we see as a result of that, he says, therefore, and God does reward obedience, by the way, God will reward you if you love righteousness and hate wickedness, just like the Lord rewarded Jesus. He says, therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And so we pray, Lord, anoint me. Lord, give me the power of your Holy Spirit to live life on on planet Earth. And God says, cool, I want to anoint you. I want to give you my Holy Spirit. But you know what? You got to start showing me that that you really want it. Love righteousness. Don't just like righteousness. Love righteousness. And don't just kind of like, oh, I kind of dislike that wickedness. I I want you to hate wickedness. And, And when that's in your heart, man, then the Lord will reward you. The Lord will bless you. The Lord will give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And right here, that's what we see. The Lord, then he gets anointed with that oil of gladness. As a matter of fact, look at verse 8. It says, all your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia. I mean, this right here, this isn't Wesson oil, okay? This is, this is incredible oil that's coming from the ends of the earth. This is through the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I mean, He's just not living in you, man. He is all over you. And that's who Jesus was. As a matter of fact, does anybody know Jesus' last name? Does anybody know? Jesus what? Jesus what? Christ. What does Christ mean? Huh? What? You guys know this. Come on. Christ means anointed one, right? I mean, it was so much him that it became his name, so to speak. It became his identity, so to speak. Jesus Jehovah is salvation, the one that saves us from our sins, Christ, the anointed one. Why? Well, because he loved righteousness and he hated wickedness. And God anointed him to do the work of the ministry. God anointed him to reach people like us. It's very important when you look at the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, when Jesus was anointed, it's such a cool thing. We read in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. 
And while he prayed, the Bible says, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. I mean, when Jesus prayed and Jesus was baptized and Jesus made that decision to go into that public ministry, it's just so cool. The heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. You see, you got to know this about Jesus. When Jesus came to earth, although he never lost his deity, he entered into the fullness of humanity. He became a man just like you. And the things that he did, he did under that anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know, some people might look at Jesus and say, well, you know what? He had an advantage. You know, he was God. And yeah, true. He was God. He had no sin. But you got to know that what he did, he did in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, just like us. And as that dove fell... That's why we have the dove right here, just in case you're wondering, hey, that's a kind of a nice thing to put back there. No, it's because we're praying that the same thing would happen to us. God anointed him. You see, we see it again in John chapter 1. This is in John bore witness in verse 32, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I like that. He remained upon him. You know, when I first got saved, and everybody's different, you know, everybody's different, you know. Um, you might have gotten saved, and and then, you know, a year later, you got filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, but I know for me, I don't know why, but for God's, you know, sovereign reasons, when I got saved, I got baptized with the Holy Spirit at the same time. And I just remember how this power came into my life. That radically changed everything overnight. The words that I spoke, the thoughts that I thunk, everything, the addictions that I had prior to that, everything changed. It was totally the Lord. You know, and He carried me, and I know it was totally the Lord's grace, but, you know, as time progresses, I think, you know, we're kind of like leaky vessels, and what happened is I kind of, I kind of started doing my own thing for a season, and then, you know, the next thing you know, the power's not there. And what we need is for the Spirit to remain. And we need to return. You see, and that's what happened with Jesus. The Spirit remained upon Him. The Spirit anointed Him. What was He anointed for? You know what? If you could turn to Luke chapter 4. we got to read this together because I just love um, this section right here in which we see what the Lord was anointed for. I mean, if you wanted to get real technical, we know Jesus was the anointed king and prophet and priest. But but look at the, the way that it just comes down to the streets, man. Because it says here in uh, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, it says, And so he came to Nazareth, Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I just love it, you guys, when we see what the anointing is really all about. Uh, Upon our Lord Jesus Christ, to preach the gospel to the poor. You know, that's those of us here today who we know I am a wretched man. God, I'll never make it. I'll never make it. I blow it. I, I've blown it. And God says, well, you're pretty poor. I want to give you some good news on how now you're really rich. That's what the anointing was for Jesus. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And how many have a hole in their heart? The things that have gone on with them and sometimes so much worse, their children. And their heart is broken. God says, I want to heal them. I want to proclaim liberty to the captives. So many in bondage for so many reasons. God says, I want to set you free. I want you to set you free. Not to do what you want to do. To to do what I want you to do. I want you to set you free for that. And, And it says right there to give recovery of sight to the blind. I mean, how we were blind. We couldn't see God. We couldn't see the things of God. You know, before I was a Christian, I read the whole Bible many times. It was just a whole bunch of stories. And I thought I was going to be, you know, given a, you know, get into heaven, you know, pass, you know, for reading the whole Bible. But I was blind. I was blind to so many things. God gave me sight. God gave me liberty. And God, here it says, anointed our Lord Jesus To proclaim now is the acceptable year of the Lord. You see, and you go back to Psalm 45, and basically what we're doing right here is we are looking at the credentials of your husband. (laughs) That's kind of cool. The other day I was uh, talking with my kids, and and I was kind of tripping out that my daughter knew about a Christian dating service online and I said you haven't checked that out have you (laughs) she said no dad I just it's weird they have Christian dating services online and so you know I didn't go into it but I just kind of saw like the front page right there and it's just a trip man how you can go and you can say hey you know you're Scorpio you know what's your favorite book of the Bible I mean what's your favorite I mean how buff are you I mean it is just different things you can look at and you can pick your husband or you can go and, you know, just try to find that wife. And, you know, the supposedly the credentials and, and, and here what we see, you guys, is the credentials of our husband, who is the king who one day will rule. And that's what we see right here. We see, first of all, the bridegroom. But then secondly, we see the bride and we won't spend as much time on the bride but um, <laughs> just real quick in verse 8 it says out of the ivory palaces by which they have made 
you glad we're going to see that come to play later regarding the ivory back then that was that was the ticket man that was the the best but look what he says here in verse 9 he says kings daughters are among your honorable women at your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Now remember, he's talking about the king. And again, culturally speaking, it's a wedding for the king. But ultimately speaking, it's the wedding of the king. And as they're there and they're kind of just checking out the, the wedding, he says right there that there are daughters there among the honorable women. And at the right hand, it says right there, there's a queen. <laughs> and hey, she has gold from Ophir. You know, I think it's so cool how the king has honorable daughters and he has a beautiful bride. And there she stands, it says right there, in gold from Ophir. Now, the gold from Ophir would come from Edom, which then they would get it from India. They would get it from Africa. The gold from Ophir was the purest gold. It was the gold of the greatest quality that was available. And here we see King Jesus with his honorable daughters, with his bride at his right hand. And it says right there that she is clothed and she is there in gold. Believe it or not, and I know it's hard to swallow when you look in the mirror, but this is you. This right here is us. It's kind of interesting. Isaiah 61.10, the Bible says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Now, one day we're going to go through the whole ceremony of marrying Jesus Christ. It's amazing. We see that in Matthew chapter 9, verse 15. Now, Jesus calls, you know, himself the bridegroom, the church, the bride. We see the same thing in John chapter 3, verse 29, you know, where the Bible says, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. You know, we see that over and over again. We see it in the book of Revelation. And, you know, what it is is a visual truth of the New Testament scriptures. If you read Ephesians 5, real quick, let's read it together, you guys. We just want the word uh, to be our final authority. And if you go over to Ephesians chapter 5, it's pretty cool what Paul shares. And we know, and I think a lot of you are probably familiar with these scriptures, but really look at it, not just as a husband and wife, but also as the Lord and his church. It says right there, wives in verse 22, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might, here it is, present her to himself 
a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. You see, there's a lesson there for the husbands and the wives, but there's also a lesson woven in that regarding the bride and the bridegroom. And it says that Jesus Christ loved the church. He died for the church so that he can wash the church. And he washes the church so that he can present her to himself a glorious bride, not having spot or wrinkle or any such blemish. And that, my friends, it really is us. And I just think it's so cool when you go back to Psalm 45 and you read how it works out. And so you're here going, okay, I'm the bride. Even though I'm a dude, I'm a bride. Okay, I can, I can handle that, okay? <laughs> and you guys are going to see one day when we're home, it's going to be such an amazing, intimate relationship we're going to have with God that's going to blow your minds, right? And so what do we do now? Well, look back at Psalm 45. It says in verse 10, listen. Listen, Manny. Listen, O daughter. Consider and incline your ear. I want you to pay attention to this. Okay, this is what he says. Forget your own people also and your father's house. So the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Worship him. Okay, again, culturally speaking, it's speaking of a king's wedding, but ultimately speaking, it's speaking of the king of kings because you don't worship a king with a small K. This is the bridegroom and the bride. And the Lord says this, because of the amazing God that we have, who has betrothed himself to us to be our husband, this is what I want you to do. I want you to come out of Egypt. I want you to come out of the world. Right there, we talked about forgetting your own people. You know, it's that tendency that we have so many times to want to go back to those things and back to those ways. And God is saying, forget. No strings attached anymore to the past or to the pool of the world. What God is saying right here is worship your king. It's got to be absolute surrender, you know? You know, and I've shared with you guys before, and I know it's hard, you know, sometimes, but the California Christianity stuff, it's just, it's not what God wants. God wants us to be radically in love with Him. He really does. You know, not just for the weirdos. Not just for the church leadership. Not just for the Jesus freaks. Well, yeah, for the Jesus freaks. Be a Jesus freak. That's what the Lord wants. Just come out of the world. Cut those strings and worship the Lord. Such a life will be rewarded. And we'll read through this because look what ends up happening. He says again, so the king, verse 11, will greatly desire your beauty. He's going to reward you for that. Verse 12 says, and the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. And the rich among the people will seek your favor. He's just talking about the blessings now of being the bride. He says right there, the royal daughter is all glorious within the palace. Her clothing is woven with gold. 
She shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors. The virgins, her companions who follow her, shall be brought to you. With gladness and rejoicing they shall be brought. They shall enter the king's palace. Instead of your fathers shall be your sons, whom you shall make princes in all the earth. And you can probably dive deep into that if you want to. But let me just share a few things real quick. For the spiritual bride, there would be spiritual gifts. There would be glory. There will be rewards. There will be riches. There will be people. There will be a palace. There will be clothing. There will be companions. When you get married to Jesus Christ, he will reward you. When you come out of the world and you worship him, he will reward you. One of the sisters was praying today. They said, Lord, you will reward those who diligently seek you. He will reward you. He will bless you. I like what it talks about right there, the robe of many colors. You know, and I just think that's cool. You know, I tend to wear the same colors. It's black and blue, and that's usually it, you know. Every once in a while, I got this one yellow shirt that I wear, and people are always like, whoa, man, you know. But back then, when you had the many colors, it meant a couple of things. Number one, fancy, and number two, favorite. And that's who you are. And we got to snap out of it, you guys. I know the devil comes and he says, you're not much. And you know what? In and of ourselves, we're not much. But because he loves us, we are the apple of his eye. And we can't ever forget that. I know people don't believe that about us. And your children may not believe that about you or your friend or your spouse. They might not think much of you, but God does. You're his bride. When I think of the robe of many colors, I think of Joseph. And I think about how the Lord used him, how the Lord wants to use you. Right there, it talks about her companions who follow her. Maybe that might be those that we reach out to and bring them to Jesus. I mean, I don't know for sure. We don't want to read too much into it. But I love what we read, and we kind of close with this there in verse 16. It says, I'm sorry, where is it at there? Verse 15, with gladness and rejoicing, they shall be brought and they shall enter the king's palace. One day, you guys, we'll be there. We'll be in the king's palace. And that is going to be such an awesome day. In the end, we see here in verse 17, God the Father promises to God the Son. I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the people shall praise you forever and ever. See, the Lord says, hey, man, your name, it will be etched in history forever and ever. Because the Bible says in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be Saved, And so you guys go out and you speak the name of Jesus, okay? You say Merry Christmas, okay? You don't say Happy Holidays or you're going to get a knuckle sandwich, man. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Jesus, I speak your name because that right there is the name 
of salvation. And one day when we get home, we'll be able to hang out in heaven. It's going to be cool. We'll be able to have pizza and it won't be fattening. It's going to be amazing, man. One day when we're in heaven, it's going to blow your minds. The Bible says we don't even know what it's going to be like. But when we're there, understand this, that we will praise him. It says right there, forever and ever and ever. And I don't know if you've ever really praised the Lord. Some of you here, this is kind of like how you praise the Lord. You're like kind of like doing this. Or every once in a while you hear a little whisper, man. But when you fully surrender in praise to your God, oh, let me tell you something, man. It is what you were made to do. And one day we're going to see that and we're going to do that forever and ever. The Bible says in Psalm 29, verse 10, the Lord sat enthroned at the flood and the Lord sits as king forever. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you're the king. We thank you that you're the king of kings. We thank you that you're our husband, that you are the bridegroom, and that we are the bride. And so, Lord, I pray that we could go and we could live life in light of that truth, Lord God. We look forward to the day that you're going to rule over all. Until then, Lord, I pray, help us to come out. Help us to come out from the California Christianity. Help us to come out from any nominal commitments that might be here. Help us to come out from any complacency that may have settled in our hearts. Help us to be on fire for you, Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord. We look forward to the day that we will be home in heaven forever and ever. But until then, Lord, please help us to bring as many people with us as we can. Lord, we look forward to that day because we know that heaven is not just a destination. It's a motivation. And so, Lord, I pray wherever we're at, my brothers, my sisters here, some might be doing good. Some might be way out there. Lord, meet them there tonight and as we go out into this week we're just going to know God you're carrying us and you're changing us we thank you Lord and we love you thank you so much for this time in Jesus name